Well, in the spirit of the morning, let's join together in this confession. If you don't believe this, you don't need to say it. But for those of us who believe, this is our creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Thank you, guys. I love that sound this morning. You guys like the sound? It's very cool. Delay on a mandolin. Who would have thought? It's like U2 meets a mandolin. So, okay. Um, Well, we, you know, if you could tell, we sort of uh, ripped some gears this morning, and we'll do so next week. Like everyone said this morning, we're in the season of Lent, and I felt like, let's tighten up what we believe. And as you could tell, the entire morning is all about belief. If you came here in some sort of a meltdown state or whatever, I apologize because we're doing real hardcore stuff today, and uh, it's not exactly a touchy-feely morning, okay? But it is designed to get us to know what we believe, and that's what we're after. Uh, if you brought your Bible, you may want it. We'll be in Colossians chapter 3 if you bring it up on your phone or iPad or computer or supercomputer or whatever. So um, that's what we're going to be digging into here. You also have a handout. It's a half sheet. So remember that golf pencil that you always reject? Well, now you're going to wish you had it. Uh, either that or brought a pen. This half sheet, it's fill in the blank stuff. It's to keep you engaged because what I'm talking about is very, very thick. The answer key is over here on this trust post. And I even taped a couple of them back there on the back wall. So in case you missed something because I missed it, uh, then you, know, you can go fill it in, especially for all of you who are OCD and have to have all the blanks filled in. So that's uh, what we have. Um, what we're talking about today is the most early and first heresy of the church. Way, way back in the second century, maybe even in the first century, it's Gnosticism. And next week, we're going to talk about the second heresy of the church, which was Arianism. And uh, we'll dig into that too. So I th- hopefully this morning you will be challenged to consider what you believe. I'm going to get dangerous and I'm going to nitpick near the end on some things that may be some cherished beliefs of yours and some paradigm. And maybe it'll get us thinking. Gnosticism, just to start out on your sheet here, the first one's going to be to know. Uh, Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis. Not gnosis, but gnosis, which means to know. And it's the origin of our present word, knowledge. You can hear the word gnosis and knowledge. You can hear the root of the word knowledge in the word gnosis, okay? So in Greek, it's gnosis, and our word is knowledge. How we went from a silent G to a silent K, I don't know, and I couldn't guess. So, you know, it's hard to say. But, of course, there is nothing wrong with knowledge, and sometimes in Christian circles, you will find people that think learning and education and knowledge is wrong. And you won't find that around here, but I do run into it every now and then. This has been part of the history of the church, 
that learning and education and philosophy is bad. Uh, but you'll have to understand that the early church attracted the poor, the outcasts, and the unsophisticated. Those really were the first members of the church. There were smart people in the church, such as the Apostle Paul and so forth, highly educated, wealthy, and, you know, multiple citizens around the, the uh, Roman Empire. But the early ones were poor and outcast and unsophisticated. So one of my favorite tales of, early Christian, of the early Christian martyrs reflects just how poor the church really was and who they were really attracting. The Roman authorities had heard that the Christians had great treasures in gold and precious gems and uh, silver and this sort of thing and pearls. Uh, Lawrence was the archdeacon uh, back then. Uh, They didn't really have a lot of fancy titles back then, or at least they didn't look real cool like with fancy hats or anything back then. They were just kind of normal people. But Lawrence was the deacon of the church of Rome, right in the empire's capital. And he was arrested, and the Romans, the officers, demanded all of the church's treasures from Lawrence. And he thought about it for a moment as he stood there in front of the Roman officials, and I just quote to you from Fox's Book of Martyrs. Don't your sacred books tell you to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's? The Roman's officials threw at him. Lawrence reflected and said, in three days, I will bring forth the greatest treasures of the church. And so the Romans let Lawrence go free. Three days. On the appointed day, the Roman officials came to where the Christians usually met. Lawrence invited the officers in. They asked, are the treasures collected? They are, Lawrence replied. They opened the door to see the treasures, and there before the Roman officers was seated a row of the lame, a row of the blind, orphans and widows, the helpless and the weak. Where's the gold and silver you promised, they said. And daunted, Lawrence replied, these that you see before you are the treasures of the church. Enraged, the Romans took Lawrence, stripped him, chained him to an iron grid, and slowly roasted him to death. Not much compassion in the Roman Empire. But the church was full of it. Row after row of the dregs of the earth. That's what made up the early Christian faith. The rise of Gnosticism happened in response to two major issues. One, just as we heard, was the poor and uneducated. The rise of Gnosticism became the church was full of the poor and uneducated. And the second major issue for the rise of Gnosticism was this. It is very difficult to explain how Jesus, a human being, can be God or be divine. It's really both words in there. God and be executed upon a cross as a criminal. How can you be God or a divine being and yet be crucified as a criminal? That does not make sense to a rational mind. And it still doesn't even today. Next Sunday, we're going to talk um, more about the two natures of Jesus. So that second part of why Gnosticism rose, we'll dig into it even more so next week and uh, when we talk about Arianism. But for Gnosticism, for this week, it appears that young Christians were easy prey for fancy Greek philosophy hucksters, anybody who had a little bit of Plato or Socrates in them, And they could infiltrate the church and make a power grab. And by the way, they were also then charging for the right of teaching people, the poor. And so they were uh, pilfering the poor for some money. 
This is not any different. I'm going to go out somewhere where I probably shouldn't, but I don't care. This goes on today. What you have is Benny Hinn going over to Africa and leading crusades of tens of thousands of Africans who borrow money to go to one of his uh, healing conferences to be healed of something. The name is Benny Hinn, by the way, folks, in case, in case it was unclear on the podcast. Pilfering the poor. And you'll see how that fits into Gnosticism, if not a lot of other bad things. Let's look at Paul's letter to the Colossians, because many modern scholars think this letter in the New Testament was the beginning of dealing with some Gnostic tendencies that were going on out there. And... Um, And so we want to look at it in Colossians, and we're looking particularly at Colossians chapter 3, and it's going to get a little thick here for a moment. Modern scholars think that the, (laughs) they like to use fancy words since they're scholars, proto-Gnosticism, which means we don't think it's Gnosticism, but we don't know what else to call it, so we're just going to call it proto-Gnosticism, which means before Gnosticism, there was something small called Gnosticism. Um, And here we have Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Just stop right there. We're going to get all the way through 17 for the most part, but I wanted to stop right there. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth, is what Paul is writing here. Now, one of the key features of the Gnostic heresy was a split between heaven and earth. Heaven good, earth bad. Spirit good, material world bad. Body bad, soul good. So you had this, and this really comes, just in case you missed this from Western Civ class way back when. This comes from the teachings of Plato around 300 BC. Plato did not like the idea of things changing. He did not like the idea of seasons. He talked about the eternal forms, and he wanted, he thought the most perfect world was a static, unchanging world. Since this world changed, he said it's a spiritual realm and not an earthly realm. That caught on, and sure enough, even to today, the most influential philosopher of Western civilization is Plato. Much of our thinking, even today, America and so forth, is grounded in Plato. Just there's a little two-cent extra thing there for you. So when we hear Paul saying here in Colossians, think about heaven, not earth, we might think Paul is advocating some form of Gnosticism, or it's not Gnosticism at that point, it's actually just Christianity. But here comes the tricky part to the handout, Christianity really does have a spiritual world and an earthly world. It really does have a spiritual world and an earthly world or reality. It's a two-world reality. It's not bad. It's not bad. And that's where I put in all these misappropriated scriptures uh, on your handout, which I'm not going to talk about because of time. But you'll see where Gnosticism began to use various scriptures because you always want to have a heresy be one slice of the pie that you make into the whole pie. That's what a heresy is. Take one truth, which is absolutely true, and make it the whole truth. And now you have a nice heresy. I used to do these things when I, when I, was, uh, when I led uh, youth ministry way back in my 20s. And 
this tells you probably more than now I realize you, you should know about me. But I'd get the kids together, and I'd say, hey, kids, let's make up a heresy. So everybody grab their Bible, and let's just do a needle drop, I'd call it. You know, like on the old turntables, you just drop the needle down the record anywhere you want. Just, everybody open up their Bible. Okay, what do you got? And somebody would read some Bible verse, you know, like Jesus went out and hung himself. Okay, so there's one tenet of our new heresy. Everybody needs to go hang themselves. And, you know, and then we'd open to another place, and, you know, it'd give all your money away. Like, okay, everybody needs to give their money. So we just create a, you know, and the kids thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, and now I realize it was kind of sicko. So... Um, <laughs> But you, could, you can lift scriptures out of context and make up anything you want, is my point. We call this verse jacking. Hijacking a verse and making it into whatever you feel like. And, of course, the Gnostics did this sort of thing all day long. Uh, so there really is a two-world reality within Christianity. It would be hard not to talk about the fact that we have a spiritual realm and, of course, our earthly realm that we're all wandering around in here. For the Hebrews, however... The Hebrew mind was much more holistic, much more holistic. They did not have any problem of God being present all around us. They didn't always think they had four different words for heaven. And usually the most common one they had was not heaven being up, because that's the heavens, these spheres. Heaven was like the ether all around you, the air, the atmosphere. Heaven was right next to you, close proximity to you. God was close proximity to you. God was in your food. God's in your animals. He's in your family. Not that God is your animals, but God is present, separate and distinct, but he's right around you. He's in your life all day long. That's the way the Hebrews thought. Now, Jesus talked like there was a below reality and an above reality when arguing with his mission with the religious leaders, the Pharisees of his day. And so in John chapter 8, verse 21 through 23, you see him arguing with the Pharisees, and he says, again, he said to them, I am going away, Jesus said. You will search for me, but, but you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come, Jesus says. And then the Jews said, is he going to kill himself? Is that what he means by saying, where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you're from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. You can easily see the Gnostics beginning to grab a verse like that and split Jesus away. What the Gnostics quickly do is turn Jesus into not a human being. They turn him into a spirit man. And now you have all your variety of heresies you want to come up with. Did he possess some other body? You know, and all this stuff starts coming out in the first couple of hundred, couple of hundred years of the church. It's making Jesus sound like he's saying, earth bad, heaven good. Or even worse... You see, we're about 100 years after Jesus, some wondering if Jesus was even human at all, which is really, really strange that within just 100 years, things shifted because the disciples that walked around with Jesus and ate with him and, you know, went on the road with him and so forth, they were always totally surprised every time he did a miracle. Who is this who calms the wind and the waves? How can he do this? Uh, it's amazing. He's just a man. They knew Jesus was just another man. Absolutely a man. He got tired. He got cranky. You feed him. <laughs> I love that passage where he says, five feed the 5,000. He says, like, let's go get away. Everybody follows him. And they're like, hey, Jesus, what are you going to do about all these people following us? And he says, you feed him. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, having a hard day, are you? Like, yes, he was. All right, have everybody sit down. I'll break the bread, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
Jesus was a human being is always what the disciples and the apostles thought. They're surprised when he makes signs and wonders. Who is this that commands even the winds and the waves and they obey him? You see, even today, Christianity and Western philosophy is really hard on the body. Uh, Spirituality is hard on the body. The body is the fountain of temptation. It's the center of suffering. We want to be done with it. We want to get rid of it. Even today, you'll find often hymns. There's a verse that we don't really sing in Amazing Grace that says the world will dissolve like snow. And this sort of uh, hymns that say we're just a passing through. I'm going to get my way out of here. This, this earth is not my home. I'm just a pilgrim. This is not where I belong. And sort of the, body, the body's just sort of like, ew, yuck. I need to get rid of this body so I can go be my real, true person. You hear this sort of talk go on. You know, even if it's Joni Mitchell singing, we are starlight, you know, we are stardust. And these sort of lyrics, you hear this sort of uh, thing where it's like, we're not actually real. Okay, a little bit of a throwback music thing there for you. But you'll hear it all the time, uh, especially in the kind of hippie music, I'm just going to call it that, from the 1960s and so forth. So you can make Jesus sound like he's splitting heaven and earth. And you see it even today. Paul is hard on the body and he thinks it's something to conquer. Paul battles his flesh. You have to keep in mind, Paul's often in prison. So hunger and so forth is a terrible thing for him. He says, I discipline my body. I make it my slave, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He goes on in Philippians chapter 3, and he says, in his letter, he says, Paul states, imitate me, for, for, for many uh, live as enemies of the cross. And their God is what? Their belly, their appetite, and their minds are set on what? Earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And Paul says, this body of humiliation gets transformed into the body of Jesus' glory. There's all this talk about the body bad, heaven good, let's get out of here. And so this idea of the body being bad and the earth being bad and that heaven and the soul are good is right there in Christianity. And is therefore, it's true, it's in Scripture. But the Gnostics take this to an extremely crazy place extremely complicated. They split Jesus, and I'm just going to tell you about one particular Gnostic writing. There are several out there that are still around uh, from the second century. And this one's on Valentinian, is the guy I'm going to talk about, um, that was introduced to me in seminary. And the Gnostics split Jesus into about seven different elements, okay? And the lowest created material level, Jesus is a threesome. Spirit, body, and soul. That's, I mean, this is total mumbo jumbo, so you don't really need to pay much attention here, okay? Just start, you know, checking your text messages or something. And then at the next highest level, in the middle, middle realm, he joins the pneumatic wisdom. Jesus becomes the pneumatic wisdom of the Akamoth, but not one of the demiurge. No, not a demiurge. He's an Akamoth. At which point, Jesus jumps into the pleroma of the 30 eons. Past the 10 powers of the word, a.k.a. life. Past the 12 powers of man, a.k.a. church. And up, 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 past the mind and the truth to the highest level with the ineffable forefather to the silent abyss. Pass through the seven levels of the candy cane forest, through the sea of swirly, twirly gumdrops, and then through the Lincoln Tunnel. I know what you're thinking. Hey, I always thought the abyss was down, not up. That's supposed to be a joke. Thank you. 
I mean, isn't it just absolutely ridiculous, complicated? This is what Gnosticism is doing in the second century. They're coming up with these sort of constructs. And that's exactly what the Gnostics wanted to do. They wanted to make it so complicated, so exclusive, uh, so complicated, hierarchical, and, and exclusive that the, only a few could comprehend it. That's exactly what they wanted. They wanted to be the secret knowers. Thus, we call them Gnostics. They got special knowledge. We know what we know, and you don't. So, for some money, we'll tell you all of our secret knowledge. Oh, okay, it's password protected. I get it. So, you're one of the treasures in the church, the row of lame, the blind, and the orphan, the widow, and so forth. And some hotshot know-it-all comes in and starts telling you all this gobbledygook. What are you supposed to think? Oh, no, you can't read. You're illiterate. You say to yourself, well, I guess I'm not a Christian because I don't understand the special knowledge, but if I just pay the money, I guess I'll figure it out. Always follow the money trail in the church if you want to find a heresy. What does the Bible really teach about heaven and earth in addition to what we've already read? Back to Colossians chapter 3. What does Paul mean when he says, set your mind on things above? Some complicated reach up to the powers of the 30 eons past the island of misfit toys. No, he's not talking about anything like that. Verse 5, Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. And Paul's just getting started. You see, Paul is not saying we should escape off into some spiritual fantasy land. We call heaven or whatever else. But rather he is saying spirituality is extremely practical. This is what he means by set your mind on things above. Take care of your brother and sister. Care for everyone. Be compassionate. We have this very practical Paul. Get rid of anger, wrath, malice. I'm just reading verses 5, 8 through 11 and all the rest of this right there in Colossians 3. Get rid of anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Do not lie to one another. Strip off the old self. Clothe yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of its creator. And that renewal, Paul says there in Corinthians, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free, but Christ is all and in all. There are no distinctions amongst people. That was the mark of the early church. No racism, no prejudice, no bigotry, no economic disparity. This is the new self that Paul's talking about. Not some esoteric spirit self, a very practical self that is concerned with putting on this new knowledge about how we should conduct ourselves with each other. It's a very horizontal, earthy sort of belief. Don't lie, don't slander, he says there in Colossians. Don't raise your voice, don't respond in anger. This is the image of the creator, he says. The people who rather than split apart people based upon race and ethnicity and income and class, those people that were once divided are now one people. Paul goes on to tell the Colossians to bear with one another. Forgive. Clothe yourselves in love. It's the perfect bond of harmony. Live in peace. Let the rule of Christ dwell in your hearts. You are one. I woke up this morning 
and I was thinking, you know, I bet you, I'm thinking about politics. Okay, so be careful here, Dan. I'm thinking, you know, I bet people think heaven is where everybody thinks that everybody else in heaven is just like you. You know, everyone's just like me. They all believe the same thing. They all voted for the same guy or gal. That, that's probably what heaven would be like. You know what? I thought, hmm. Look at the politics, and I think, that sounds like hell to me. That just sounds like hell. Everyone thinks just like me, and everyone's just like me. I'm not even sure most days I even like me. You know, I'm like, at least some of those parts. I'm like, I think heaven is a place where everyone's different from you. And you're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Such a breath of fresh air. I get so sick and tired of myself after a few million years. You know? I'm going to talk to somebody really different from me today for the next 10,000 years. Let's just talk about all their life. That'd be great. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts because you are one body. Very horizontal, earthy stuff. Treat each other kind with compassion. Very practical stuff. You don't hear Paul after saying, set your mind on things above, then say, and now I'm going to tell you about the Akmoth and the you know, swirly, twirly gumdrops and all this rest of this nonsense. You hear him saying, hey, treat each other right. Gnosticism is still around today. You find it showing up in films like a few years ago with the Da Vinci Code, which was really a fun adventure movie or book, or what if you read the book, because it moved really, really fast. It's a great adventure tale, but it's Gnostic because only special people can decode the truth. And even that was a fun part of the Da Vinci Code book until Dan Brown at the very beginning of the book said, this is absolutely true and this is Christianity. Oh, oh, and my in-laws are reading it saying that are not Christian. They're saying like, so that's what Christianity is? And like, ah, rent the robes. You know, I'm like, this is crazy. I mean, it only works out for her. Spoiler alert. It only works out for her. She's the chalice. What about the rest of us? Well, sucks to be you. So we find Gnosticism showing up in very popular left behind book series where you find the world split into sort of sinners and saints, the unbelievers and the believers. There are demons, and then there are holy people. And if people have special secret knowledge, they can escape what's going on. They are the decoders of the world in the Left Behind stuff. It gets turned into a very bad movie with Nicolas Cage, I think. Um, I didn't see it on everyone's good advice. Christians unwittingly then read a verse like 2 Peter 3.10. This is really worth looking up if you had your little app in front of you or whatever. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. This is what it says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Ah, sounds familiar, right? That the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. Sizzling. The heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire. And you're like, I told you that rapture thing was right. It's all getting vaporized, man. It's all going to burn, turn or burn. Because I'm out of here. Ah, but they fail to keep reading on to verse 13. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for what? A new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. We wait for a new heaven and a new earth. Now, why in the world would you need a new heaven and a new earth if it all burned? Why do you even need a new heaven? Wasn't it already good in the first place? 
Which heavens are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the stars and the spheres and what we call that sort of thing. The seven heavens, if you want to go back to that sort of thinking. Just like Paul in Colossians, what we have is a purified earth, a righteous people. The earth is remade. The fire is a purifying fire, not a vaporizing fire. It does dissolve. It's dissolving the unrighteousness, which is what the passage is all about. Think in terms, oftentimes in the Bible, where you hear things being burned up by fire, instead of thinking it being like um, firewood that burns up and goes away and just becomes ash, you will do better to think, just like what the psalmist says and other places, think in terms of purifying metal. You want to think in terms of smelting, that you get a crucible and you melt the silver down, you skim off the dross, the unrighteousness, the impurities, and what you have is 99.9999% pure righteousness. You see what I mean? That's usually the image in the Bible. It's oftentimes, sometimes, I mean, sometimes it talks about burning something up, but more often it's about purifying metal. And that's the imagery that was in everybody's mind back then, making bronze or iron or whatever it might be. That's what we mean. That's why there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. It gets purified. And the, the, the dross gets skimmed off and thrown away. So this is a problem then for those who think they, uh, that there is a rapture because they think that they're going to be taken off to heaven and we're not quite sure why they need a new heaven. Or for that matter, of course, a new earth. New Testament scholar uh, N.T. Wright puts it this way. All of our righteous deeds are the pure thing that remains. We are stockpiling then during this life all of our righteous deeds. Jesus will come. He will come back to earth to be with us. Again, a, a bad teaching would be that Jesus comes and says, come on, guys, let's get out of here. And then you all meet him in the clouds and you all disappear. It never says that in Scripture. It says Jesus comes. You go out to meet him in the clouds so you can say, come on in, Jesus, we've been waiting for you. Amen, Maranatha, Jesus come. That's what's really going on. And so when Jesus comes, he's going to say, so uh, where's the kingdom that you guys have been charged with you know, building? Oh, uh, well, look at our righteous deeds. Paul then, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, says, well, we don't know what, what's righteous and what's unrighteous. Sometimes it'll be precious stone and gold and silver. Here is in this metaphor of precious things, and then their fire comes. He says, but some of it may be hay and straw and stubble, and when the fire comes, it's going to sort out what's gold and what's straw. Our problem is we don't know if what we're doing is straw or gold. Usually you have a pretty good idea, but we don't know. Okay? It's a sorting fire, if you want to put it that way. It's a purifying fire. There in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, N.T. Wright says, and he says, but Jesus is the master builder. He's the master architect. He will take the righteous deeds that we have done and build the kingdom of God here on earth. Okay? That's the better teaching. Our job is to prepare for his return. So, that's Gnosticism, and this is this, and I, I mean to throw at you then what can sort of be a head-scratching confusion, saying like, well, Christianity talks about heaven and earth and spirituality and, and earthliness, and the body really is the center of, you know, temptation and suffering, and wouldn't it be good to get rid of that? Like, yes, that's all true. But when it gets taken to an extreme and it becomes escapism, then we've lost this and we've drifted into uh, some sort of Gnosticism, and that's a problem. That's a problem with that. So I just want to talk then real quickly as we wrap this up. I want to talk about Lakeland for a moment. 
And in particular, I want to make sure we get something correct around here. I lead a lot of retreats, uh, many, many retreats throughout the year. A lot of you have been on retreat. Probably well over half the church have been on retreat. We go up to Conception Abbey. It's a Catholic place. We're not Catholic, but because they read the Psalms, you know, up there five times a day, we think that's cool, and we hang out with those guys and talk to them and try and play Stump the Monk. You know, like, hey, how's that celibacy thing going and stuff, and then see what they answer. And this is sort of some cheap entertainment for us. Um, at their expense, of course. Um, and we learn a lot. These retreats, though, we talk a lot about the false self and the true self. We talk about being more human, not a human doing, but becoming a human being. We talk this way. It sounds a little esoteric and a little fancy. And what I want to make clear is that what we're doing is not Gnosticism. We are not talking about escaping this world and going into some sort of pop psychology, new age, navel gazing that makes us begin to worship ourself. That we would go off on a solitude and silence retreat and just fall in love, really, really ooey gooey in love with me, ourself. That's a misappropriation and it's idolatry as far as I'm concerned. Instead, when we make a retreat, to go off and to pray and to be with Jesus, the divine waste of time. What we're really doing is engaging the Martha Mary syndrome. Martha and Mary, they're sisters, right? Jesus comes to visit them. There's a bunch of people there. Martha is fixing the meal all by herself. And Mary has chosen the one necessary thing, as Jesus puts it, to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him. And Martha says to Jesus, can't you see that I'm doing all the work? Tell Mary to get up and help me. And, and, and in that famous line, Jesus says, Martha, 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 Martha. Mary's chosen the one good thing, the one necessary thing, the one thing necessary to sit at my feet. Is Martha bad? No. They're sisters. Martha's good. To do things is good. To be in the world is good. But there's also Mary to sit at the feet of Jesus. Here you see this great spiritual truth. There's a time to do and there's a time to sit at Jesus' feet. We don't just sit at Jesus' feet. We go off to pray on a retreat or have a quiet time or a time of surrender so that you can go back out into the world and be Jesus to others. That's why we do this kind of spirituality not for self-indulgent New Age mysticism. And let's be very clear about it. There's a time to be Martha. There's a time to be Mary. They are sisters. They belong together. And that's the way Christians have understood that story allegorically for about 1,800 years. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, be careful of any church or parachurch that only focuses on the spiritual world and on escapism, not on the practical world, that we find in Colossians chapter 3. Let's be careful. When we say set our minds on things above, then just keep reading the rest of the chapter and you'll see very, very practical things. Don't slander, don't lie, don't get angry, don't raise your voice, don't hurt. Love one another, be in harmony. Be careful of any doctrine that overemphasizes some escapist rapture. It's Gnosticism. And I'll just say this. If that gets you riled up, who 
taught you that doctrine of the rapture. And may I just humbly say, can I teach you something different because you bought into that, which isn't in Scripture, so why not listen to me? Is that weird? It's a little weird. You're believing something. Believe this. The Apostles' Creed, this is why the Apostles' Creed, it was first called the Old Roman Symbol or the Old Roman Creed, and it happened around 210, was exactly the answer when they didn't have the Bible yet. Everyone was just passing around papyrus and uh, text and so forth. The Bible wasn't put together until around 400. But people were beginning to collect letters and said, oh, do you have this letter that he wrote to the church in Paul's letter to the church in Colossians? You know, and, and what about the one in Ephesus and so forth? Oh, no, we don't have that. All right, well, we'll copy that for you. And they're starting to collect it together. There were some in there, like the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Truth, and they said, that is not the Jesus I walked with. Not the Jesus I heard about. They threw it out. That's why we have the four Gospels. The Apostles' Creed came at a time before the Scripture was around, and it said, this is what we believe. And you will not find anything Gnostic in it. You will not find anything else in there like that. Any spirituality that is self-worship and not Christ-centered and other-centered is not Christianity. It's holistic. It's everything put together. This is why, this is why the very end of Scripture down to the last verse says, come Lord Jesus and come quickly. It is a hard life that we live here. But Jesus comes as he is even present now with the Holy Spirit and he abides with us so that we can make it through, looking forward to the day when the earth is remade a new heaven and a new earth. That is our hope. And right now we look forward to the resurrection and celebrate that every year to remind ourselves it says, yes, death is dead, Jesus wins. And we do too. That's what we're trying to get done. Let us pray. Father, I pray that I haven't confused everybody just to, you know, their wits end. I pray, God, that we would understand your scriptures and that we would have good, good, solid doctrine around here, that we would research the scriptures and spend time at your feet, Martha and Mary, both of them, and that's what would make us into a church. In the name of Christ, amen. All right, let's stand. Let's get out of here. Now, we've been uh, using this Celtic blessing here at the end of service for quite a long time. And at the end of it, you're supposed to cross yourself because it says, I belong to that cross. You think, uh-uh, that's some sort of like Catholic Orthodox mumbo jumbo. I don't do that stuff because I'm a real Christian or something like, you know, you make up some kind of nonsense like that. And, uh, and what really happens is, is that you say, like, you know what I belong to? I belong to Jesus. That's what it says. You see if you can do it. Get your body involved and stop being such a little Gnostic. Okay. <laughs> Join me. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.